Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Spreaker Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Tuesday, November 1st. We made it. Only two months left this year, November 1st, 2022. And this program is meant to provide, provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. I search for and present to my listeners natural modalities that simply assist and augment the body's ability to heal itself. The body wants to fix itself. The body knows how to fix itself. It has a God-given innate ability to do so. The only thing that's missing is the raw materials. And when you put those back into the mix, stand back and wait to be amazed because your body's going to do some really cool stuff. Now you can visit my website at yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. There's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the iTeric Air device, which is featured prominently at the top of the homepage. There's a little about a five-minute teaser video and a link to my YouTube playlist. that has over 80 videos discussing the technology, how it's used, and testimonies of people all over the world who have had fantastic results. I uh, played some on my morning show today, a lady that had a... Um, frozen shoulder for a number of years was giving her all kinds of pain and in one session i believe it was taken care of and she's got full range of motion again pretty cool and uh, none of the doctor's stuff was working she was taking painkillers and everything and it didn't do any good but this thing helped her it basically just provides the stuff that the body needs to fix itself that's it it doesn't do anything in and of itself it just provides terahertz wave frequencies that the body uses and uh quite well as a matter of fact to release stem cells and do all kinds of stuff that really really make a big difference for folks so anyway check that out there's also um, a downloadable flyer and a brochure that you can pick up uh, no charge for those things and as well there is a link to the dedicated uh, page where you can actually place an order if you want to just click click the uh, get started now button and follow the directions when you get to the place where it says amount, it's $350 per device, however many you want order. It's just $350 exactly. And in the remarks box, you put your name. Okay? And uh, if you do that, everything should go through quite smoothly. And uh, there's plenty of stock on hand right now, most of the warehouses, so you should have them within a few days of placing your order, which is a whole lot better than the three weeks I had to wait. <laughs> So anyway, check out the website, hit the radio shows tab, and at the top of the page you'll see the link to our archive page set up through castbox.fm. And uh, there's also links on that same page to the um, two shows we did down at the uh, Dixie Republic for the Fall for Dixie Festival uh, over the weekend. And um, all the other shows that we do, as well as Mike Gaddy's Dix uh, Whistling Dixie shows. Uh, those are all up there as well. So uh, enjoy them and share them. Uh, people need that information, that history, the real history that Mike puts out uh, based on actual source documents, not somebody's uh, um, revisionist book or anything else, but uh, just real straightforward history. And it's quite ugly, as a matter of fact, but it needs to be out there for people to know the truth. So anyway, uh, keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on the show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Spreaker Radio Network, its owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. 
Nothing we say in the show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only. So as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. All righty then. Um, that being said, keep in mind that tomorrow is the first Wednesday in um, of the month. And as such, um, we have my uh, monthly retirees banquet or breakfast i should say for uh, my police department guys that i work with and so i'll be there i should be home in time or back in time um but in the off chance that i'm not i can't plug in replays anymore because we the system doesn't work that way but uh, i will do everything i can to be here and uh, if not just hold tight and as soon as i get home we'll get started <laughs> that's the other thing we do have flexibility with this system uh we can do it anytime we want but at the same time uh just hang loose and chat amongst yourselves and all that good stuff. And I'll be back as quick as I can. I, uh, at the very least, I can get onto this um, Jitsi room and let people know what's going on. But I should be here in time to do the show. Anywho, that being said, um, man, there's some crazy stuff going on. I just, uh, just before the show started, saw a new uh, article enzymatic fingerprint proves the synthetic origin of covid again if you believe in the uh, germ theory or for that matter i believe in the uh, terrain theory which shows that toxins cause problems and in this case that's you know they could have created not a an uh, virus per se but a toxin that was released environmentally and uh, caused people to get sick. It could also be a result of all the other things, the electromagnetic fields and everything else we're dealing with. But uh, American and German researchers released a preprint paper in BioRxiv the other day that further substantiates the unnatural origin of the Wuhan coronavirus, COVID-19. And I'm just copying this real quick. I'll drop it in the chat room. And I'll also put it on the Telegram channel here real quick as well. There we go. All righty then. Back to the article. Um, entitled Endonucleus Fingerprint Indicates That Synthetic, the Asynthetic Origin of a SARS-CoV-2. The paper explains that the most likely origin of the alleged virus is a laboratory and not bat soup at a Wuhan, China wet market, as was originally claimed. <laughs> and there's another article that says bats are not even being sold in Wuhan at the time when this COVID mysteriously appeared. Uh, similar studies published before this one looked at the matter using a different set of criteria. Researchers involved in with those uh, look specifically at qualitative aspects of the virus, such as its visible features. In uh, this latest one, researchers used quantitative methods, a first with regard to COVID, just to be clear. <coughs> this breakthrough method allowed researchers to present what they describe as objective findings that exceed those of similar studies. Another thing worth noting is that this new paper did not rely on any of the other known evidence that suggests the Fauci flu was cooked up inside a building. It avoided taking into account the highly unusual furin cleavage site, for instance, which other scientists say points to a synthetic origin, probably at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There's simply no way COVID is a random product of nature. 
For this, uh, for the purposes of this new research, Valentin Brutel, or Brutel, B-R-U-T-T-E-L, a molecular immunologist at the University of Würzburg in Germany, and Alex Washburn, a mathematical biologist at Selva Science, and and Antonius Van Dongen, a pharmacologist at Duke University, examined what is described as tiny fingerprints left behind during viral assembly in a lab. Normally, Seamless genetic engineering techniques render it difficult to uncover evidence of manipulation, if done correctly, of course. In the case of the Wuhan flu, efforts appear to have been made to conceal its synthetic origin, but the research team used a novel statistical process to crack the code. Uncovering hidden evidence like this is no small feat, but the trio was able to accomplish what they set out to do by comparing the distribution of certain strands of genetic code in wild viruses to those present in lab-made viruses. Lab-made viruses, often, uh, more often than not, are constructed by assembling together various parts of, and pieces of other viruses. One blog compared it to the Mr. Potato Head game in which the nose part can be placed anywhere or the ear part moved to where the feet should be. The process supposedly helps science better understand how viruses work, spread, and infect. This being the excuse that was given to us as to why coronaviruses were being tampered with in the first place. Viruses are also tampered with in the way this team did to uncover discoveries in order to create bioweapons. Though the paper denies that this is what was going on, probably for political correctness purposes. In the end, the team learned that not only is COVID fake in terms of not being a random product of nature, but that there is only one about one in 100 million chance that COVID came from bat soup or some other talk, uh, such excuse. Though very subtle, the team says the identifiable fingerprints are in fact present on the surface of the COVID virus, and these fingerprints point to tampering activities by science, uh, scientists in a lab, which is what COVID deniers have been saying since pretty much the beginning. There is no chance this was a gain-of-function engineered virus to anyone with common sense, uh, wrote a commenter about the discovery. Uh, wasn't a gain, excuse me. <laughs> There's no chance this wasn't a gain-of-function engineered virus. Okay, there you go. Uh, it's funny what uh, just a tiny, tiny change in a word can make. <laughs> anyway, that is that. Um... Also, means from one to another. What's that, Mer? Gain of function means that they've got it, so it's a leaps from uh, another animal to a human, and it's not happening. <laughs> they wish it would. Yeah. Yep. But you know, you gotta nudge it along in the lab. You know, <clears throat> gotta help those uh, in. What's the word? Uh, evolutionists. <laughs> Dr. Peter McCullough to be stripped of medical certifications for denying official COVID narrative. Oh, boy. I'll tell you what, and that goes right along with an article I covered this morning. Uh, YouTube is coming up with even more restrictions now and um, censoring if you have not been approved by their people 
as sources of uh, valid medical information, you will be banned if you put anything else on YouTube. So we'll see how long my show lasts. <laughs> anyway, the American Board of Internal Medicine is moving forward with plans to strip cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough of his medical certifications because of things he has said about the Wuhan coronavirus that ran contrary to the official government-approved narrative. Oh, and we can't have uh, alternative thoughts out there anymore, can we? In a recent letter, the ABIM notified McCullough about its plans, specifically calling him out for suggesting that healthy people under the age of 50 do not need to get injected for the Chinese flu. Nobody needs or should be ever injected with this stuff. If you want to live, that is. If you want to die, if you got a death wish, then have at it. Get all the boosters you can. It also addressed statements he made about some uh, how some people have died due to the shots. Yeah, far more than have from the disease itself. Over 20 million, million so far, worldwide's best estimate. For stating these and other things, McCulloch faces losing his career. The ABIM's Credentials and Certification Committee determined that McCulloch provided false or inaccurate medical information to the public with his claims which and must now pay the price. Well, you know, they should have to prove that they're right and he's wrong before they can move forward. But that won't be the case. We just determined it and therefore you're wrong. That's the way they look at it now. You know, typical fact checker stuff. By casting doubt on the efficacy of COVID-19 injections with such seeming authoritative statements made in various official forums and widely reported in various media, media your statements pose serious concerns about patient safety. The letter to McCulloch further states, again, prove it. Moreover, they are inimical to the ethics and professionalism standards for board certification. Oh, really? How about you people who are pushing these toxic jabs? Isn't that something that should be looked at by ethics people? Hmm. McCulloch now has until November 18th to appeal the stripping of his credentials, should he choose to do so. A special panel formed by the ABIM Board of Directors will, yeah, right, <laughs> uh, Star Chamber panel, will hold at least one hearing on the matter, after which it will make a final decision, which has already been pre-approved and uh, decided, by the way. The panel could accept the recommendation, rescind it, or impose an alternative punishment, reports uh, explain. ABIM says it was unprofessional and unethical for McCulloch to tell the truth about COVID injections. The first sign of possible disciplinary action against McCulloch came back in May when the ABIM first learned that he had made numerous widely reported and disseminated public statements about the purported dangers of or lack of justification for COVID-19 injections. Well, they had their heads buried in the sand. He's been saying it for a couple of years now. They just now found out. Boy, they must have been listening to mainstream media. On March 10th, 2021, for instance, McCulloch appeared before a Texas Senate panel where he explained that people who naturally recover from the Chinese virus now have complete and durable immunity that does not require any kind of chemical injection. Yeah, we've had studies I reported on over a year ago that showed people that had the original SARS virus uh, 20 years ago and the genetic makeup between the two is like 20% different or something. And they had uh, immunity to this alleged virus, supposedly. And um, 
the variants don't have that much difference between each of them. You know, and it's just crazy. Anyway, McCulloch added during his speech that there is simply no scientific rationale for injecting people with COVID chemicals when they are healthy and under the age of 50. No, anybody, <laughs> whether they're healthy or not, should not mean there's no justification for giving them a killer shot. Good grief. He's being very conservative, and they're still going after him. At the time, there had been 18,000 COVID jab-related deaths reported to the government's vaccine adverse event reporting system. McCulloch merely pointed this out, which greatly upset the ABIM and fueled its rage against him. According to the ABIM, stating the truth on such matters is a violation of its policies surrounding false or inaccurate medical information. What a screwed up bunch of morons. McCulloch's admissions of the truth are unprofessional and unethical, the ABIM declared. Keep in mind that McCulloch present, or presented scientific data to back every claim he made before the Texas Senate committee. <laughs> he showed cases of blood clotting post-injection as well as failing immunity post-jab uh, post due to the COVID-induced or vaccine-induced AIDS or VAIDS. He also presented sound scientific evidence in support of natural immunity, suggesting that it is far superior to jab-induced immunity, which doesn't exist, which wanes completely and turns negative within seconds. They say months. <laughs> uh, but you can bet they're not going to supply any medical or scientific evidence to support their findings that he's wrong. Based on his own medical opinion... Crafted from the best information that science currently has to offer, McCulloch has concluded that people who naturally recover from COVID without any injections now have robust and durable immunity against the severe outcomes of adjudicated COVID-19 hospitalization and death, recognizing that the Omicron, or moronic, variant has broken through natural immunity. And as increasingly more people become seriously injured or die because of the Fauci flu shots, We'll keep you informed about the latest figures and stories. Yowza. Crazy, 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 crazy stuff. If I may. You may, Robert. Good to hear you, buddy. How you doing? Thank you. I'm doing. Maybe you should stay at the Holiday Inn last Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> or the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> womp, 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 womp. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy you had on yesterday, Ricky, was that uh, the guy who... Uh, almost succumbed to suicide was that who that was he um he didn't almost succumb it's just the the things that he was going through lead to suicidal tendencies not that mm. he actually did it or tried it or anything like that he was just severely depressed and had a lot of stuff going on a nutritional deficiency <laughs> but um you should talk to him about that <laughs> yeah i'm hoping to one of these days especially if he comes okay. to see the horses <laughs> Gotcha. And, and he's the number two guy in, in the country, is that right? He's the number one guy in the country at this point. He's uh, built wow. bigger businesses than the folks above him. And, wow. uh, yeah, he's uh, he's the head gyrastacutus, the number one earner in the country, and okay. number five worldwide, I think he said. And okay. uh, he sponsored. And he's knocking down like 40 grand a month, something yeah. like that. And then some. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, God bless that him. was. Uh, his July numbers from what I remember. Um, and, uh, they just keep going up and up and up because as sure more people come in, talk it, about it a just guy grows. who's passionate about what he does. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I caught the last 15 minutes. So I got to go back and listen to it to catch the beginning. I was at work yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure he had a lot to say. Yep. 
he did. It was really good. And um, not only did it help him tremendously, but he also has lots of other people that he turned on to it that also had fantastic results. One being Dr. Mm -hmm. Sheila Day down in Florida, um, Mm -hmm. who is usually the number, well, I think number two or three recruiter um, for the last couple of months. And uh, she's just a powerhouse. Uh, and she's mm. the one that had the um, the sick child that was had had the thing where the doctors had amputated her leg and you know just a mystery disease nobody could figure out what the problem was and uh, she actually heard about this kid and just told him look I can help you not knowing that she couldn't <laughs> she just figured she knew somebody who would know what was going on but everybody she reached mm-hmm. out to was just the opposite we don't have a clue and mm-hmm. that's when he sent her. He'd been bugging her for a while to check it out, and she kept blowing him off, and he finally said, here, I'm sending you one. Try it. And she figured, what the heck? There's nothing else going on. We'll try it on this kid. And lo and behold, she's the kid child is off all the drugs, and her life is stabilized, and she's back on track again, minus a leg thanks to the MD community. But, mm. uh, you know, better better that than, uh, you know, having, sticking with them and having cut off all her appendages, which they oh, probably would have done. Alive. So, yeah. so what was the disease? Did she ever figure that out? They, nobody knows. It's just some kind of weird thing that nobody would ever seen before. And um, it's really strange. But um, she figured she must know somebody that would have a clue. But everybody she checked with, nobody had any idea. And it had been turned over to the oncology department. You know, they were treating it with cancer drugs, even though it wasn't a cancer. And, um, of course, you know. When all you got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so that's what they're pulling, and it's sad. But uh, yeah, she's um, you know she's just one of the folks that um, uh, Ricky uh, recruited along with John Scavola, who's right mm-hmm. above John and Kathy. And then John recruited um, Rachel Lee down in Australia, who's the number one person in the world uh, mm-hmm. in recruitment. Um, and so uh, she's, she's the one that set up the THC deal, for Life website. What was that? Yeah. She's above your guest yesterday. Um, no, she's actually below him. Uh, she was sponsored by one of the guys. Um, she's side by side with John and Kathy in a different leg, but she oh, was sponsored by John Scavola, who Ricky sponsored. So yeah, gotcha. he's got gotcha. a powerhouse group because he was he's he had been involved in um, network marketing in the past. He was uh, involved with the Healy's and. Um, and uh, switch from that to this because he saw such uh, great potential and um, it's just you know boomed <laughs> to say the least and uh, yeah i've never seen anything like this the the growth potential and um, the best part is the inexpensive side of things you know like i said <laughs> i've got a healy i paid 2500 bucks for and i can't even use it because a stupid app keeps going belly up on me um, does it do the same thing as uh, Ontario Care? Not really. Uh, mm. it, it's it's more along the lines of a teeny tiny uh, portable Rife machine. Uh, mm. It, it mm. varies. It uses frequencies to deal with specific um, issues, as opposed to you know. And that's the, all the other ones. Everything else that I've seen deals with things in a way that you have to program it for whatever your specific uh, situation is. Whether you've got uh, diabetes or high blood pressure or something, you've got to program the thing to present the, the stuff that, you know, whatever frequencies and things that it uses to help combat those things. And 
The difference is, of course, with the Itericare one, is it just puts out terahertz frequencies that support the cell's ability to deal with everything. And it's a broad spectrum approach, which makes a whole lot more sense because the other gotcha. way you've got to hit the target right on the bullseye or it's not going to work. And gotcha. here you just support the body's ability to fix itself, which is much more, it's, it's, it's like comparing allopathic medicine to holistic medicine. The Healy's, the Beamers, well, not the Beamers, but the Healy's, the, um, uh, Rife machines and things like that are kind of like, uh, frequency based MDs. They're going after, they're trying to poison the body into fighting a certain or getting rid of a certain thing as opposed to naturopaths and holistic type people who just basically give the body stuff to support its natural healing abilities. This is probably one of the best ways to put it. And I'll tell you what, this thing works like a charm, as we all know. And yeah. um, it's just amazing that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a meeting here locally Tuesday night or Thursday night, day after tomorrow to, uh, you know, introduce it to some folks and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but anyway, that's where we're at with that. And, uh, hopefully I'll, uh, get rid of some of the, uh, extra ones I have in the trunk of my car because things just didn't present themselves as a way to do it down there at the, uh, um, Dixie, uh, Republic, unfortunately. Uh, Paul, the owner of the place was happy to let me set up a spot, but unfortunately things, you know. I needed power, and I'd had to run a, a cable all across half the building, and I'd have to I'd spend all the time taping it down, and I didn't have any tape with me and that kind of stuff to make sure it wasn't a mm. crimp factor and all that. Mm. So gotcha. I just I talked to a few people. One guy got one and already sold another one. <laughs> he called me yesterday. He says, hey, I got a guy up in Canada that wants one for his cat. He needs it immediately. <laughs> so I was working out with him. We could not get his credit card to go through for nothing last night. For some reason, there was problems somewhere don't know where but i ended up using an alternative uh, thing that i'd set up in the original stuff for taking cards and that finally went through and um but now i gotta wait two days for the money to get to me so luckily i had enough that i could go ahead and place his order ahead of time and then just get reimbursed when the funds come through but mm. um, he'll be happy in a couple of days when uh, his device gets shipped up there to canada and um he'll probably be getting involved in selling them and you know, I'm uh, the the guy that bought one's got his own radio show, so hopefully I'll be a guest on there one of these days, and we'll get some people fired up. Is that is that the guy in West Virginia? Um, no, he's actually down in uh, South Carolina too. His name's oh, uh, oh, Stephen Whitener. Gotcha. Um, he's got quite the story himself. Uh, as far cool. as he used to work for a company um, doing, I forget exactly what it was, but he tried to be a whistleblower, I guess, and. They pretty much destroyed his life, and he got all uh, toxified from chemicals they had him using for a long time, uh, hydrogen chloride gas and stuff that really messed him up, and he's just slowly but surely getting some of his health back. And he was all excited when I started telling him about this. I said, I don't know if he was actually looking into these or something else, but he's, I was planning on getting one of those. You know, you know how people are. They don't really understand exactly what it is. And, uh, but anyway, he ended up getting one right then and there and took he it home and charged water and started, it. what's that Murph? He said he'd been reading about it. Yeah. Again, uh, you don't know if he's reading about this or something else because a lot of people, you know, he mentioned uh, the yellow, red LED stuff and it's, that ain't this. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, his show's got a red on, tip. Uh, 
Republic Broadcasting at uh, 10 a.m. Central on mm. Saturdays. Okay. Hour. So he's going to have you on sometime? Probably. I'm assuming. Cool. You know, we've talked about it. I'll probably have him on my show just to tell his story. And once he's had a chance to use this thing, um, see what kind of results he's getting. Because a lot of his stuff is related to his lungs from inhaling that gas. So if this helps heal the lungs and improve his breathing and that kind of thing, it will be very uh, good to know. But yeah, is it Whitener? Yeah, Stephen Douglas oh, Whitener, oh, and you can okay. um, you can hear that. And was that the first session? I think he talked about that, right? Or was that well? The he did um, he did his own show first thing uh, Saturday morning. He was doing it with his cell phone, and right. then uh, in the evening, since we were doing another one that was on, uh, I forget, it wasn't Republic. It was a different uh, 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 Podbean. It's called American and, National. Something. Yeah. Yeah, it was on that, and they wanted to use my equipment, so basically I had to set my computer up to access his website on Podbean, and it took us a while to get everything uh, fine-tuned and working, but we got it going, and we did like a two-and-a-half, three-hour-long session, and he and I were kind of like the playing back and forth. We, we started the show at the beginning, and then um, Mike kind of took over my chair, and he had some other guests come through sitting down in the other chair. And then towards the end, they turned it back over to me and Steve, and we wrapped things up. And it was um, really good. And that's what I've got up on my um, uh, both the, the Spreaker and the CastBox pages now, um, the two from October 29th, and it's the second one. But uh, it's the one from the um, uh, Confederate Corner. But, yeah, it was a, it was a great program. Um, there was a young guy there, 21 years old who was like a Mike Gaddy in the making. Mike interviewed this kid, and he was just unbelievable, the knowledge that he had. You know, and he, you know, he's grown up in the South and found out that his, he had, you know, ancestors who were involved in the, in the, uh, on the Confederate side in the War of Northern Aggression and wanted to research it. And boy, I'll tell you what, this guy was spitting out names of generals and uh, battles and dates and stuff, just like, I mean, he's like a, like a, a mini Mike. <laughs> yeah, Mike threw him stuff and he knew it. Oh, I was Almost amazed. Yeah. I was I was sitting right across from that young man. And I'll tell you what, I was just dumbfounded with the lack or with the, you know, the amount of knowledge that kid had. Uh, it, was, it was something to hear. And it, I think it, that, yeah, that was in the second uh well, that was the evening show. A couple hours long. Yeah. But, uh, the second one you did, mm -hmm. I think. That was the second one. And, but I'll tell you what, it was something. Yeah, because what I was doing was um, I set it up so that while we were going on um, on Stephen's program, I was also live streaming the Spreaker. So my show, you know, the show went both places at the same time. And um, then I just went in and put in the information about it afterwards. But that was just a, a phenomenal thing. And that's the same one where we had um, uh, the coach and uh, Johnny Reb, the guy that owns the uh, leather shop, uh, attached. It's, it's like a little outbuilding, I guess you could say, right next to the uh, Dixie Republic. And this guy, my goodness, he turned out some fantastic leather gear or goods, uh, made a holster for Mike. And um, you know some of the things I saw that uh, he was working on in the shop, total quality and uh, it was really cool to listen to him and then we also uh, mike interviewed uh, paul the owner of the store and uh, how he and his wife uh, got involved with it 
and she, uh, you know, they were because of everything else being the, the Halloween weekend, they were had people that you know telling people you know wear your uh, costumes and stuff. She j- dressed up like Jock Doctor Ouchie, <laughs> and uh, on her hat uh, in glitter it says the vaccinator. And she had this great big monster hypodermic needle with the end of it was a skull. <laughs> and uh, had little green and blue and yellow bubble type things in it. And it just looked scary as all get out. But um, she did a good job dressing up as, a, you know, Dr. Ouchie and uh, all that. But uh, it was just a really, really good uh, program. Uh, the event was great. And uh, the interviews were phenomenal. And uh, Blackbird Nine was there. We got a chance to talk to him, and the I, I think it was my afternoon show. I got a chance to chat with him, and um, had a chance that uh, we had lunch together. We both went out and got some beef brisket sandwiches, and oh my goodness, whew, that stuff was excellent. I wish I could have brought that dude home with me. <laughs> uh, but he had he had his little uh, wagon there, uh, you know, a trailer that was set up with a smoker. And he was smoking chickens and pork and beef and corn dogs. And man, I'll tell you what, he had um, col- coleslaw that was nothing but chopped up cabbage. It's the first time I've ever seen anybody do it like that. But boy, I don't know what he was using for his sauce on the stuff, but it was fantastic too. <laughs> Very simple, but man, I'll tell you what, it was good. And uh, the guy really knows his stuff and it was fantastic. But uh Anyway, it was a, a great weekend, had a wonderful time, and uh, yeah, oh, thanks for putting that uh, stuff for Steven in there. Yeah, I don't know how uh, long that one is, doesn't give a time, but it's the one, one of the ones from down there. He's I think it was it. about an hour, that's probably his, uh, the one he did uh, early in the morning. No, no, I didn't post that when I saw oh. it in there, this one was just Ball for Dixie. You know, he has his and Mike's shows, too. Oh, this is this is the one that we did together. Then. Mm-hmm. And, it starts uh, with him, so I don't know if it's your the first one you did or the second or part it's of the after. It's the evening one. and Yeah, uh, yeah it's one of the ones in the evening. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's almost three hours long, if I remember right. It's yeah, the same thing the that we thing had on mine. I don't know. How, it doesn't give a time on it, so. Yeah, it's the same thing that I've got on mine because uh, yeah, I was probably. live streaming did them both at the same time. Or? What's that? Did you send it to him? No, we were actually streaming to his and to Spreaker at the same time on mine. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I had my laptop set up to uh, go into his uh, website to broadcast to the American National. And at the same time, I was also live streaming to Spreaker through my setup. So it was uh, we were doing two at once. So it's the same program that I've got up on Spreaker as well. You know, so you can yeah. hear it either way. Yeah. It's just another source. So it's gotten out there. And then yesterday I sent links to uh, Mike and he's spreading them all over the place and sent them to Paul and everybody else. So these shows are going to make it, make the rounds and uh, hopefully more and more people hear it. I mean, the, all of the Paul? interviews are great. What's that? Sending them to Paul. Paul is the owner of the Dixie Republic. That Paul. Oh, that's right. Different Jolly. Paul. I think is it's that... Paul, Paul Lawrence, I believe is his Lawrence? name. Lawrence. Okay. I believe I'm, they were joking about some kind of Jewish influence, and he said, my my name is Paul Lawrence-Stein, so I'm assuming it's actually Lawrence. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, we sent him to him. Yeah, that's and, a little, little touchy subject. The the young guy with uh, Mike, uh, when Mike told him about uh, 
Alexander Hamilton. He's yeah. Sort of just, <laughs> 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 He's not get into that. Yep. He gets in and he gets that in any chance he can. Yeah. Alexander Hamilton, I can't remember, Stevens or something, was the uh, vice president of the Confederacy. And uh, <laughs> pretty wild. But anyway, great interviews and uh, something everybody can learn from. And of course, uh, up on the. Um, Tell or in the um, whatchamacallit uh, cast box, I've also got all the uh, Whistling Dixie episodes. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, 8, 9, and 10, and 11. Whew, goodness gracious, those were killers. Um, so yeah, I you, need to go back and have my notepad handy. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the, the stuff that was done to the people down in the South, and oh my goodness. And, you know, as usual, he's got all the documentation to back it up. And what's sad is it all comes, a lot of it, comes from that 128 volume the war of rebellion that was basically the U, the federal government's um archive of what took place during the war it's mostly their documentation that basically indicts them yeah you know, national archives right yeah they just we're untouchable we can put anything in here nobody's ever going to read it anyway and therefore you know nobody will know <laughs> they didn't know mike gaddy was going to be around <laughs> and uh, he's got the whole 28 uh, 128 volumes and volunteered to bring it over and give it to Paul uh, at the uh, Dixie Republic if he would you know he's got a section there in the Confederate corner that is just research books that are for use on the property you can't check them out and he offered to bring those 128 volumes over and put them in there for people to use uh, as long as he makes sure that there's always going to be somebody um, to maintain that as uh, every current holder cashes in his chips as they say um so yeah it's uh, it'll be a good place for lots of people to get access to that information yeah he was asked how he got started in it mike and i remember him telling this some years ago uh, as a guest on one of the revolution radio mm -hmm. shows and and he was like nine years old he was and in fifth uh, grade Pop wouldn't go into the schoolroom with lincoln's picture hanging right Yep, that got everything started, and he yep. started researching stuff, and it's just been a gold mine for us ever since, you know. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, he's got a true gift. You know, I have known people that were PhDs in history that don't have anywhere near the knowledge that this guy has. Oh, piled high and deep. Well, it's controlled. Exactly. Post hole diggers. Does it on it, and you know we're all like that on some subject or another. We're, you know, where the the uh, drive to know is just as strong as the drive for food or sex. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's way Mike is, and that's this young man that he interviewed. I think he's the same way. That little guy, by the time he gets to be in his early seventies, oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, I hope I'm around to hear some of that stuff. That's yeah, only really. 50 years, so I got a chance. Be 115 then. <laughs> I'll be going to the Dixie Republic in, uh, in the fall. Uh, well, young fella, I can remember when you were interviewed at 21 years of age by Mike Gaddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That would be fun. You know, primary thing to know, though, because it's twisted so upside down like everything else is, the Southerners had a cooperative, healthy, and wealthy yeah. individuals. You know, the freed blacks, everybody had some wealth. Yeah. And they, they had integrity, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, the, the plantations were like cities. Yeah. And Mississippi was the, the wealthiest flight, state in the union at the time. And, you know, but and they had no central bank. That was There's the problem. The problem. <laughs> we can't have that. Just like so, Libya. You know, Let's go in and bomb Gaddafi, and then the first thing we'll do is set up a central bank. Yep. Yep. They're always portrayed as being, you know, backward and everything else. Yeah. But, yeah, it's crazy. But they do the same thing every... And I'm saying they. I'm not saying we. <laughs> I'm not having there is no we, that. right? <laughs> yeah, there is no we. Especially in this incident. But I'll but tell you what, there is a really I mean, bad day. Look what they do to Venezuela. Mm-hmm. You know, how they say how horrible they were. No. Chavez had them independent. They had nationalized that sweet crude. And they had paid off the international mofus and were helping other countries do it. Yep. No, so that that was their problem. So then all we hear about, and even from like uh, Sydney Powell and and Flynn, and they turn out to be not such good nicks after all. We start digging, sadly. Yeah. With all the child trafficking and stuff, sadly enough. Oh yeah, and anybody that tries to expose that gets painted as one, or demonized or killed, because that's their really their fun thing in the background. Well, it's not even just their fun thing. It's no, something yeah. they have to do because they're in league with Satan. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. People don't, oh, no, Satan. You know, well, God is over Satan, but he allows it because people want to do it. So there you go. Yep. Free reap what you sow. Free will. Reap what you sow. Well, I don't know so much about free will, but anyway. Yeah, whatever. But, man, I'll tell you what. I mean, if we had free will, why would prayers work? Well, you have free will, so you can or don't. You either choose to or don't pray. And if you're one of his uh, family, he'll answer your prayers. Well, I'm saying it's not really free will. It's just you're giving your will to the dark side. That's all. You don't realize it by being just for yourself. That's, In fact, Mark Passio, who's kind of whatever he is, but uh, that's what he said. Satanism is just selfishness, extreme yeah. selfishness. Mm-hmm. And pride. Well, that's selfishness. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny, too, uh, Ken in Texas was talking about how uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, it, you know, their other sins, it was basically pride, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's true. But they also, they don't realize they let demons into themselves when they do those activities. It's so stupid, yeah. you know? But yep. now we have pride parades, right? So mm-hmm. there you go. Yep. And uh, last I heard, I don't know if it's still the case, but it was years ago, the one in Columbus, Ohio, was supposedly the largest this side of, uh, or outside of San Francisco. Or Tel Aviv. And I've been to How was it this year, Jim? What's that? How was it this year? I don't know. I haven't been to it since the uh, 2000, I think, was the last one I was at. Did did the uh, uh, Dykes on Bikes run you off? <laughs> mm, well, they didn't run us off when we were there. I just chose to not roll in that stuff anymore. Two years of it and seeing the crap going on, that's enough for me. But it was yeah, enough I, to convince me of certain businesses that I would never support, like Target yeah, and yeah. Uh, Donato's Pizza, Starbucks. which is local. Starbucks. Yeah. But Starbucks wasn't in the parade. They, you know, It's just the idiot that uh, they're executive vice president and statements he's made at their shareholders meetings mm-hmm. you know, if you're not in favor of uh homosexual marriage then we don't want your money that's okay i well, guess we're in agreement that's, that's firefox that's firefox too and the 
co-starter of that uh, started Brave because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he left there because the, the, they were calling the, the crap they the were doing. The search engine? I mean, the, the browser? Yeah. The, yeah. Really? Mozilla, the company that was, you know, is the one that developed Firefox, had gone over to the dark side, and the guy that developed Firefox left there and created Brave, and after that, Dissenter. Um, as options because he was sick of the garbage that those other people were pulling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's everywhere. And, you know, Steve Benoon, too, talked about the uh, the largest uh, gay pride. I hate that word. It's it's morally insane is what they used to call it. Yeah, it's, it's manuals, exactly that. You know? I mean, they say, oh, it was a mental illness. Well, what, what did they call that mental illness? It was moral insanity. Okay, can we go back to that? Mm-hmm. But they in their parades over there, and they never reported it. But uh, the uh, sewer cover blew off, and uh, crap rained down on everybody. <laughs> what blew off? Sewer cover. Yeah. Like oh, a manhole cover. Really? God has a yeah. sense of humor. Yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> well, I think pride goeth before the fall, and that's probably where that name came from. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. God's favorite sin. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it'll be their least favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's what just, uh, that's what got Satan going in the first place. I will yeah. rise above and sit on the throne of the Almighty. You know, yeah, right, bub, you're out of here. And uh, it's it's sad, but that's what we get when we hook our cart, cart to the wrong horse, as they say. But, uh, yeah, great time over the weekend, and I encourage everybody to listen to those replays. Um, they're all up on uh, CastBox and on uh, Spreaker, so you can catch them there, um, all except the first one that Steve did. I don't know where that, and I'm not sure where Mike's uh, show that he did, because he was sitting out in his car with his phone plugged in because his battery went dead. Um, not sure where that one was uh put or uploaded to it may be another it's on uh, american national it's also on rbn archives okay good yep but uh yeah that, i think the first one was an rbn show that uh steven did yeah if i remember right and, uh, and that's both of those places also yeah pretty interesting stuff and, you know, what's this american national site you're talking about it's on Podbean, and uh, put it in the chat room. Yeah, oh, okay. There's a link in there. Yeah, but we can say it on air so people can find it. I guess too. Yeah. American uh, National Radio Network dot Podbean dot com. That's it. <laughs> slash e slash live dash from dash the dash Dixie dash Republic dash ten twenty nine twenty twenty two forward slash. Don't ask me to repeat it. <laughs> Listen to the recording. <laughs> or go in the chat room and click the link. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Good time was had by all. And I'll tell you what. Whew, that brisket. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, that was good. I could have sat and ate that all day long. Man. They never gave the name of the 21-year-old, did they? The, um, I think... I'm trying to remember if it was put out on any of the shows. I think it was, um, if I was, if I remember right, I think I listened to it. I was listening to both of them on my way home the other day. And I think at one point somebody mentions his name, but I can't remember. I think it was just gave his first name. Um, 
but I can't remember what it was. Either that or Stephen knew it yesterday when I was talking to him on the phone. I can't remember which, but uh, I'm sure we can probably find out. And the other thing that was really cool, I don't know if I mentioned this, there was a group from Clemson University there, and one was a young lady who was black and um, really enjoyed herself, and Mike had a nice chat with her and gave her his phone number and email address and told her anytime she needed any information, call him and he would make sure she got it. But um, she was very knowledgeable and um, beautiful young lady and uh, definitely was there with friends and made a whole bunch more friends while she was there, which by her own admission, and I'm sure is going to go back home and tell all of her other friends, hey, this is a good bunch. You need to go check it out. And that's the whole thing. Um, you know, getting people educated, uh, of the truth. And that's, you know, even the people in the South don't know the truth most of the time. Uh, but it's slowly coming up and, um, they actually had a video that they showed, uh, they raised the largest Confederate flag in South Carolina. Big thing was 30 foot by 50 foot. Uh, they had a video of it and I think it's on, if, if you go, I believe it's on YouTube, um, you can find it, um, just large Confederate flag hoisting or something, but they actually did it a, a couple of days before the event. And, um, it was pretty, pretty neat. Uh, it was a rough job getting it up there all the way, but, um, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah, there we go. 15 minute, uh, thing here. Mute it, and I'll just copy it and put it in the uh, chat room. Yeah, for anybody that wants to see, there it is. 1337 point. Um, But yeah, they uh, had people there speaking, and uh, as in Spartansburg, largest Confederate flag um, was raised on October 22nd, 22, at I-85 Spartansburg. Sites dedicated to the memory of the men that did not return home from the War of Southern Independence. And uh, just so happens that the Sons of Confederate Veterans owns that land. <laughs> so they put they put up a, it's like a 100-foot flagpole, or at least 100 feet, might be a little taller. Um, they had to go down 14 feet uh, for the base of the thing. But they put this pole up, and then they raised this flag, and uh, really cool. And uh, anyway, Jim? just another one thing. Yes, sir, Samuel. That reminds me of a story. Uh, there's a insurance company in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, oh. that claimed to put up the biggest American flag in the world. Wow. That foundation was even bigger, and the thing still blew over, and they had to rebuild it, I believe. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Yee, that's a trip. They had it up there a long ways, too, and so you could see it from a big distance because it was so big. Mm-hmm. I forget the size of stuff of it. I would have looked it up before I, I mentioned it, but my phone can only do one thing, and it doesn't do that well. So yeah, That's okay. So, yeah. But that's that's yeah. interesting. I've never heard of a flagpole blowing over. That's something Ooh. while you want to catch it so the flag doesn't touch the ground, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> and an insurance company on top of it, that was a bit of a liability there. Oh, yeah. Man, <laughs> I wonder if they had insurance on the pole itself. 
pay for putting it back up the right way. Man, that's something. But, you know, it is what it is. I thought it might be fun. I was I did this on my morning show today. Um play a little bit more of the um end of the germ theory. And it was uh, really pretty good stuff. They these guys did a super job putting this video they did. together. They did. I watched the whole thing and some of it got real complicated, like over my head, but it was still a good deal. Yeah, when they talk about um uh purifying and um uh, what's the word I'm distilling and separating and all that, I was like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> all the stuff that you do, uh it was really pretty wild. But it man, was. I'll tell you what. Good stuff. Hey, it it was. It was. I'm just going to pick a point here and let her rip for a little Are bit. a living, breathing tissue culture or a living virologist Petri dish, if you want to think of it that way. But the shocking truth is these alleged virus particles have never been found in the fluids of human beings, sick or healthy. Virologists are taught in school that it can't be done. The particles are too small, and that's just not the way they do it. There's not one published paper in the scientific literature finding this thing in any biological fluid of any sick human or animal. Anywhere. And everybody agrees. All the virologists agree. They say that's not how you find a virus. That all that we have 150 uh, like institutions, the NIH and the CDC, etc. We asked them, can you show us a paper finding this particle in a bio, in any fluid of any sick person? And they say, we don't have such a paper. Claim they don't have an isolate, but don't, I mean, they. No, they claim they cannot find the virus in any fluid. Now, even though they, they say there's a reason for that, because that's not how they do it. Now, here's the first question. Since the viral theory is I breathe in this virus, it uses my lungs as a culture, right? And so then it grows, and then it's teeming with viruses that get spewed out in the world. Why can't you find it in your lungs? It's a culture. Oh, your point is if you do a direct electron microscopy of the fluid, you won't see this. Never. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I see. Never, not once. We asked the, a guy who was 20 years, uh, you know, a senior virologist at Wuhan Center, uh, Institute of Virology, 20 years head of Yale Virology Laboratory. Can you find SARS-CoV-2 in any fluid of any person you say has COVID? He said no. Why not? Because there's not enough virus to find. Okay, we asked him, what about if you put 10 people with supposed COVID and you mix their bronchial fluid together? Is there enough? No. 100 people? No. 1,000 people? No. Not enough to see. 10,000 people? You mix their fluid together. Would you then have enough virus to see? And he said no, and then he wouldn't answer anymore. So, but he claims what we see on the EM, on the electron microscopy slides, are in fact virus particles. He, the, the little, the little blab things. What he says that, is you have to culture them. There is no virus to see in your lungs right. or in your snot. Enough that they're not anywhere. Yeah. 
So then what is a virology culture and how is it they can see this alleged virus particle after a culture but not in a sick person's snot? The technique was invented by a man called John Enders in the 1950s. Virologists take a person's snot, mucus, sputum and put it in a petri dish that has dying rotting kidney tissue from green monkeys. Then they add bovine calf serum like cow broth, sometimes milk, and then they starve the fluid in that petri dish of nutrients so that the cells in the tissue start to break down and deteriorate. Then they help it along further by adding kidney-specific nephrotoxins like the antibiotics gentamicin and amphotericin, and sometimes a kidney tissue dissolving enzyme called trypsin. Then they wait and these chemicals break down the cells into millions of tiny particles and then they do all of the other things we discussed already to prepare it for electron microscopy and they say aha there it is the virus particle we can see it now there are obviously many problems with this procedure first of all there are multiple sources of genetic material inside a human snot or lung sputum including lung tissue itself debris from dead human cells being excreted through the lung excretory system bacteria and microbes living in the lungs food that went down the wrong pipe inhaled plant pollen RNA and DNA from the air inhaled bugs and many more then the monkey kidney tissue itself has its own genetic material as does the bovine calf serum as does the milk so there is no way to tell what genetic material came from what in the petri dish or what you're even looking at under the electron microscope it's just a giant soup mix of all sorts of genetic material so you can't even say where that particle came from is that particle from a virus? Is it from the milk, lung tissue, monkey tissue, bacteria, plant pollen, calf broth? Who knows? The second problem is electron microscopes take still pictures, not moving. Here is a man standing outside of his door with keys in his hand. Has he just come home and is going into his door? Or is he just leaving and just locked his door? you have no idea without the rest of the footage to be sure so did these particles go into that cell multiply and explode out of it or did the fact that the virologist just purposely put a bunch of chemicals in a petri dish that purposely destroy and break down the monkey kidney tissue milk bovine serum human lung tissue dead cell debris bacteria pollen and other cells in that petri dish and cause the cells to break down into millions of smaller garbage particles as the cell died and that's what those particles really are dead cell debris cytopathic effect is just a theory because no person in history has ever and I mean ever observed that particle going into a cell multiplying killing that cell and blowing out into millions of copies of the exact same particle because that particle is too small to be seen without a still electron microscope photograph period 
Those particles have never been purified and isolated to even check that they are all copies of the exact same thing, ever. No virologist disputes this. In fact, we are all told about autolysis, the breakdown of all or part of a cell or tissue by self-produced enzymes from the dying cell, not viruses. Here is a single cell organism, just like any of your cells, experiencing regular death. And as we see, it too naturally breaks down into millions of nanoparticles of dead cell debris as it dies and deteriorates. That's what dying cells do. This leads to another glaring problem with virus theory. We are told about apoptosis the natural program death of our cells that leads to the cells nuclear fragmentation meaning breaking apart into tiny pieces also DNA fragmentation and mRNA decay which would look something like this look familiar we are told the average adult human loses between 50 and 70 billion cells out of its alleged 37 trillion each and every day but are we sick every single day from the natural death of 70 billion cells? Of course not. Then where is the proof that a theoretical virus particle allegedly killing a mere fraction of those naturally dying cells causes any illness? There is none. This is not science. This is nonsense. Why on earth would virologists be using chemicals and enzymes like amphotericin, genomycin, and trypsin that cause cytopathic effect breakdown of monkey kidney cells to prove that a virus particle killed the cell and not the chemicals they use that do the exact same thing? It makes zero sense. And why are they using green monkey kidney tissue? Before we can examine and easily understand the errors in laboratory virology studies and procedures, we need to discuss and understand virus isolation and purification. Why is that so vital? Because if you are going to claim that that particle is a unique thing called a virus and not just normal garbage from a deteriorating cell, you have to prove it and then stick it in somebody and make them sick with it, which has never, ever, ever been done in the history of the world, ever. Suppose three people ate a chicken soup and all got sick with stomach cramps, vomiting, and diarrhea, and we had a theory it might be from the chicken in the soup. In order to be certain, first we'd have to isolate the chicken chunks only from the rest of the soup by putting it through a strainer to get most of the other soup ingredients and fluid out. Then we'd have to separate the chicken chunks only. That's isolation. Pretty simple. Then we'd have to wash those chicken chunks off with distilled water to make sure they aren't still coated with other liquids and ingredients from the soup. That's purification. These are not. Then we'd simply feed those people this isolated and purified chicken and see if they got sick with the exact same symptoms, stomach cramps, vomiting, and diarrhea. If they did, we have a good suspicion that it is the chicken, but we're still not 100% certain yet. 
we'd still have to run a control experiment where we feed them the rest of the soup without the chicken and see if they still get sick with stomach cramps, vomiting, and diarrhea. If so, it might be something from the broth or something else in the soup that the chicken chunks soaked up while they were in the soup. Fairly simple. But we're still not done yet. If it was the chicken chunks and not the control soup, we'd then have to run a genetic sequencing on that chicken to make sure it actually is chicken and not some substitute made of tofu, soybeans, corn syrup, and chemicals to make it smell and taste like chicken. So we're absolutely certain in the future that it was chicken that is the problem and not some fake chemical substitute. Now let's say we want to prove that this particle labeled a virus actually is a unique thing called a virus and causes an illness. We'd simply take a sick person's snot or sputum, macerate it in a liquid solvent to break it apart a bit, pour that through a nanoparticle sized mesh filter just like a spaghetti strainer to get rid of most of the larger debris bigger than the particle so that we only have at least things of that particle size or smaller left in our sample. We put that filtered fluid in a density gradient centrifuge and spin it around until all of the materials in the test tube are in banded layers by weight and density. Just like your lighter socks and underwear stick to the washing machine wall while the heavy jeans and shirts fall in the middle, or just like these materials in this glass are separated by density. Then, we'd take a nano pipette and extract only that density band of material that only has these viral particles in them and we have to genetically sequence them using either the Sanger method or the Maxim Gilbert method to get the full genome or see if that particle even has a full unique genome to make certain we actually have some kind of unique virus particle and not just broken down partial fragments of normal everyday genetic material from the thousands of other things in the snot or sputum sample. In fact, this entire isolation and purification procedure would be even more important to do if you use the virologist's petri dish culture instead of just taking the snot sputum directly from a sick person because now you'd have to separate weed out and eliminate all of the additional genetic material and whatever else they use to grow the culture then we simply inject or spray that isolated and purified virus particle material only into healthy people and see if those particles make them sick with the exact same symptoms as the sick person whose snot or sputum sample we used to get those particles from in the first place. That's isolation and purification. So simple a child could understand it. Now let's ask our virology experts. What do we mean by virus isolation or virus purification? Um, these are jargon words in virology and they, uh, they're not very precise. They mean different things to different people. Now Dr. Gal and Dr. Fauci talked a lot about isolation and purification. Can you tell me what the difference is between the two? Isolation? What was that? Isolation and purification. Of the virus? Yes. 
Well, you isolate a virus by um, um, finding the virus which causes a disease. And you purify a virus by making a lot of, I mean, just by purifying it so you get a pure virus. Okay. I don't, I don't understand what the well, they, they issue. Well, they, they interchanged the two, and I wasn't sure I see. If, if it was the same thing or if it was two totally different. Um, well, it depends on how they used it. Okay. Can, can you explain the process of HIV isolation? Well, I didn't Dr. Gallo do that. I mean, he actually isolated it. So. Yeah. I mean, why should I do all of this? This is all textbook stuff you're asking me. I'm not quite sure what's behind your question about isolation. I don't want to be your textbook. You know, okay. I got other things to do. Now, in their defense, it would appear that virologists are taught in their school and training that these virus particles are too small to isolate and purify and run a full Sanger or Maxim Gilbert genetic sequence to prove that it is a unique thing and not just partial genetic material from regular cellular debris. And that may have possibly been true before the 1970s, but that has not been the case for a long time now. And yet nobody has ever isolated any virus and sequenced an actual genome, let alone make a person or animal sick with the same symptoms by injecting or spraying those particles only with no other poisons, rotting flesh, or contaminants, ever. These so-called petri dish virus particles that they see under electron microscopes are usually around 50 to 140 nanometers in diameter. Yet, when we look at a bacteriophage, they are anywhere from 28 to 200 nanometers in total height. And yet the capsid, where their genetic material is contained, is only 28 nanometers in diameter, much, much smaller than an entire virus particle. And yet scientists have isolated, purified them, and sequenced a full genome for them. Then we have exosomes, which are packets of protein, messenger RNA, and microRNA that are believed to assemble inside of a cell and then leave the cell to communicate with other cells in the area, among other functions. And exosomes are only 30 to 200 nanometers in diameter, nearly the exact same size as so-called 50 to 140 nanometer virus particles, and as you can see, nearly indistinguishable from alleged virus particles under electron microscopy. And yet, Dr. Andrew Kaufman sent me a paper showing that exosomes too have been isolated from blood plasma, purified through density gradient centrifuge, and even genetically sequenced. Which brings us to the nanotechnology industry and IBM, who has recently unveiled the world's first two nanometer chip technology for semiconductors able to not only manufacture two nanometer nano sheets but also to attach them to nano chips so let's put this in perspective are we really to believe that scientists can isolate 
purify and genetically sequence exosomes the same size as alleged virus particles, also isolate and genetically sequence the capsid of a bacteriophage that is literally the size of just two spike proteins on an alleged virus particle, and IBM can manufacture a two nanometer sheet 70 times smaller than an entire virus particle and attach it to a nanochip. But virologists can't find this giant particle in any person or animal's lungs or sputum. And even when they manufacture this particle in a Petri dish, they can't then isolate, purify, and genetically sequence them? Really? It is painfully obvious that they are discouraged from doing so because it will prove that these particles are not unique organisms called viruses but just broken down fragments of dead cellular debris with identical partial genetic material from the broken down cells they come from. The pharmaceutical industry stands to lose tens of trillions of dollars in vaccine, cold and flu remedy profits and over 20,000 prescription drugs to treat lifelong vaccine-caused allergies and illnesses. If the truth ever gets out to the public that viruses don't exist and the germ theory is a debunked fraud. What fraud? The purposeful creation of fictional computer-generated in silico virus genomes in order to purposely abuse and misuse PCR tests and antigen or antibody tests to con the public into believing they have somehow caught a fictional contagion that they need medicated or vaccinated against. Whether a person is expressing so-called symptoms of a detox, toxemia or nutritional depletion or feels completely healthy, the only reason they believe they have caught a theoretical virus is because either a PCR test or an antigen test has told them so. But very few people even understand what these so-called tests really are or understand that they can detect no such thing as a hypothetical virus particle. That's not what they do. That's not what they are designed for or how they even work. So let's use an easy to understand analogy for PCR misuse. If we had no idea how tall you were and wanted an exact measurement, we'd use a tape measure that is long enough to measure your entire height in one go. We'll call this first generation height sequencing. We wouldn't use a regular ruler because it isn't long enough or accurate enough to keep stacking and get an exact measurement, but it is good enough for measuring your feet, shins, knees, thighs, hips, part of your torso, your neck and your head, and once we knew your exact height with the tape measure, we could closely reproduce that by adding together all of the body part ruler measurements, making a few small errors but getting pretty close. We'll call that next generation height sequencing. Now let's replace height with a full genome. The DNA strand of all living things is allegedly made up of different sequence combinations of only the exact same four basic molecules called nucleotides A, C, G, T and the RNA of all living things is allegedly made up of A, C, G and U instead of T. 
the total number of these four basic molecules and the different sequence orders they appear in the DNA or RNA genome determines whether you are a wolf, a sea cucumber, a tree, or a human. Pretty simple. Scientists claim that the full human genome is 6.4 billion base pairs long of sequence combinations of ACGT, and though they've never isolated one and checked, virologists claim that the full genome of an alleged virus particle is around 30,000 base pairs long of different combinations of ACGU for its alleged RNA genome. What PCR does is it takes a molecule that is too small to detect, like G or guanine, in DNA and RNA, and it keeps doubling it until it makes so many copies of it, you can finally detect it and see it. If you start with just one guanine molecule and double that 31 times or cycles with PCR, you will now have 2.1 billion guanine molecules that you can now detect and measure. PCR was originally invented by Dr. Kerry Mullis for early cancer molecule detection since tissue biopsies took too long to get results and delayed early detection treatment. The problem is, PCR is only meant to amplify small, specific sequences of DNA or RNA molecules, not entire genomes of 30,000 molecules or 6.4 billion for that matter. It was never supposed to be used for genomic sequencing and especially not for diagnostic virus detection tests. And here's why. PCR is only made to amplify and detect small specific primer sequences of already known RNA or DNA sequences out of an entire genome, not the entire genome itself. And just like our tape measure analogy, to find your height for the first time by first generation height sequencing, if you wanted to find the genome for an alleged brand new never before seen novel virus like COVID-19, you have to start with first generation sequencing since it's a brand new alleged virus that has never been isolated and mapped. So you would have to use either Sanger or the Maxim Gilbert method to map the entire genome for the first time generation sequencing. Let's say you did that with a banana and then put that full banana genome into your computer database. Then PCR would be very useful to quickly and cheaply rearrange and put together the smashed fragments of banana DNA or RNA from this banana into the full banana genome using next generation sequencing just like our ruler analogy. Since you already know the full banana genome to rearrange the fragments into, and you know for certain that this is a banana because you smashed it yourself. The problem is, virologists aren't taught how to do this when they get their silly costumes. Instead of isolating and purifying this particle and running a first generation genomic sequence with Sanger or Maxim Gilbert, they are taught to create a make-believe fictional in silico genome inside a computer. They simply take the smallest pieces of 50 million broken down genetic petri dish fragments 
from unpurified fluids from humans, bats, birds, or whatever, mixed with the genetic fragments of bovine calf serum and monkey kidney tissue, all of it starved and broken down by the kidney-dissolving enzymes like trypsin and kidney nephrotoxins like amphotericin and gentamicin, and they put them together like a puzzle to create the genome they want to assign to the fictional virus particle. Then, they design the PCR test to look for common small sequences out of that made-up fictional genome. They then do uh, PCR tests, which have never been standardized against having found a virus in the first place. So they have no idea whether any of these segments are unique to anything because they've never isolated and pulled out the genome in the first place. And so you could ask, so where do they get the genome? They get the genome because they take some of these segments they find that they attach to certain pieces in this brew, and then they put those segments into a computer, and it makes what they call an in silico genome. In silico is a fancy word for theoretical, which is essentially a synonym for the word imaginary, which is essentially a synonym for the word make-believe. So, and they standardize this in silico genome against the first SARS virus, which was made in exactly the same way with an in silico, i.e. imaginary genome of an imaginary virus. So then they say, this is now what the new definition of isolation means. We find these pieces of genetic material in this brew that contains, first of all, unpurified snot, and then uh, broken down tissue uh, that contains the exact same kind of sequences and genetic material as does the virus, because it's never been proven that there's anything unique about any of the sequences. In fact, as I pointed out, when a friend did a BLAST search, which is a search of the essentially genetic database, he found that the, uh, one of the primer sequences called the spike protein it matches 93 human sequences and 91 sequences from other microbes and fungus and uh, other organisms. One of the primer sequences called the spike protein it matches 93 human sequences and 91 sequences from other microbes and fungus and uh, other organisms. So there's nothing unique about this. They're simply testing for pieces of genetic material having no idea the origin of this genetic material. So as far as I know, and I know this I think as well as anybody could know it, there is not one study out there, there has never been with this virus or many other viruses that has properly isolated the virus, properly sequenced the virus, and if you can't properly isolate it, you cannot say that a sequence of it comes only from that virus. And since the alleged virus genome only exists in a computer sequence assembled from normal fragments of genetic material found in everybody's snot, PCR diagnostic tests cannot be used 
because they are only looking for two or three tiny sequences of 18 to 300 ACGT combinations long fragments found in the snot of all humans that were used to assemble the fictional in silico genome in the first place. It's like testing a child's wagon for a wheel, and when you find one, claiming that wagon must be an 18-wheeler semi-truck. Now you understand why one of the World Health Organization's primer sequences in their PCR test for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 is found in all human DNA. You didn't test positive for COVID. You tested positive for being a normal human being with normal dead cell debris in your lung mucus, which is one of the normal places where the body eliminates dead cell debris when cleaning itself out. The CDC told us all that COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 was a novel or novel coronavirus, meaning brand new, never before known or seen. Yet, in the CDC January 2020 document describing how on earth they came up with a PCR test to detect this brand new, never before known or seen virus, they admit right there on page 42. The real-time RT-PCR diagnostic tests were determined in limit of detection studies since no quantified virus isolates of the 2019 novel COVID-19 were available for CDC use at the time the test was developed and the study conducted. You read that right. They had no such thing as an isolated SARS-CoV virus to make a test to detect. So how did they do it? assays, meaning analysis, designed for detection of the 2019 NCOV RNA were instead tested with known titer RNA copies spiked into a diluted liquid consisting of a suspension of human alveolar A549 cells, which are common used lung cells from a 58-year-old Caucasian male with lung cancer back in 1972 mixed with a viral transport medium, which is the usual RNA from fetal bovine calf serum, poisoned with the usual gentamicin and amphotericin antibiotics to mimic clinical specimens. So apparently, 50-year-old commonly used lung cancer cells and fetal bovine calf serum are genetically equal to a never-before-known or seen novel coronavirus. Two plus two equals five, this is not science. This is fraud. As we touched on briefly, in silico simply means done or produced by using computer software or simulation. Imaginary, make-believe, theoretical, not reality. These are in silico people. Just because they move and look like people is not any proof they are actual real people. No different than the in silico genomes for viruses like the in silico-based whole genome for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. So what did they do? They went into the NCBI computer database and retrieved an already known non-novel genomic sequence called the Wuhan Seafood Market Pneumonia Virus, or Wuhan Who one and then grabbed some other already known corresponding homologous computer genome sequences using the computer BLAST-N tool. 
homologous means similar in structure though not necessarily in function as the flippers of a seal and the hands of a human are to each other so what was it homologous with their computer showed their fictional genome is showing an evolutionary relationship with the fictional in silico genome in their database that they named bat coronavirus RATG13 and that both sequences shared a 96.12% sequence match. Now, do you understand where this ridiculous story came from? Human beings share a 99% genomic match with rats and a shared working DNA genomic match of 97.5% with rats and mice, which is why they are used for medical research experiments. Is it really a shock that the boogers of a Wuhan person with pneumonia had a 96% match with the boogers from a flying mouse in a computer database? It is also important to know that because they are using PCR and next generation sequencing to assemble the 50 million partial fragments of broken down genetic material in these virology petri dishes into their fake fictional in silico virus genomes and because 31 cycles of PCR doubling on a simple five molecule fragment like AACCG will now create 4 billion A's, 4 billion C's, and 2 billion G's that aren't really there in real life. When you try to piece these sequences together to create your genome, it gives the computer unlimited artistic liberties to find any sequence it wants anywhere in this Petri dish because the PCR itself creates unlimited molecule sequences that aren't really there. This is called de novo sequences. Imagine if the lotto came out and said tonight we're going to draw 56 million numbers and if your six numbers come up in a row anywhere in that sequence, you win. And you have, Because you have every possible nucleotide sequence to work with. So you can make whatever you want. Now once they make one, then they use that as the template to make the other ones so it looks like that. Because right. once you make one unicorn and you say people make another unicorn, they make it sort of like the old unicorn. All right, the SARS-CoV-1 <laughs> unicorn just happened to be about 30,000 base pairs, so we'll look for something that's, a, yes. a, you know, about 30,000 base pairs and happens to look like SARS-CoV-1. Right. I, I went back and read the paper. Right. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and then that one was made against the, the bat one in, in 1996, and that was against the hamster one in 1984, and that was against the bear one in 1906, and that one was made up. <laughs> so and, even, and even more sinister than that is the way that that then became a vaccine. The the drug companies then took the this in silico genetic sequence from the internet that the Chinese had uploaded from one patient, and ba boom, they overnight made a made a vaccine. That's what they admit to. That's yeah. what they that's what they say. That's what Fauci says. We got this within hours. Once they uploaded the sequence, we took it and made a vaccine. Right. Unbelievable. If people knew what they were being, you know, given based on one patient and this uploaded genetic sequence on the computer, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's complete make-believe. Yeah. It is just flat-out virology is, you know, because 
in, in our in, in this study that we did, we actually took this culture, right? So it broke down and then it breaks down in all these pieces. And then we did an alignment, right? We did, we found the genome. You did like they did, okay. Yeah, we did like they did and we found SARS-CoV-2. But we can also find any other RNA virus as long as you put yeast RNA in there. So you just put some, sprinkle some yeast in there and then you get HIV and Ebola and measles right. and right. SARS-CoV-2 because, because it's partly once you start with all the RNA sequences, but also the PCR process makes de novo sequences. They make sequences which weren't there. The reason you know that is because if you do 10 cycles, you can only get 10% of the genome. If you do 40 cycles, you get 98% of the genome, which means that approximately 80% were made by the process, right? <laughs> which is, is, I mean, this is crazy. And yeah, yet it, we all believe it. That is. Uh, let's stop it there for today. <clears throat> Yeah, my <laughs> takeaway, uh, James, if I'm reading this right, out of all I heard, again, most of it went over my head, is that viruses are nothing more than dead cell tissue. That's it. That's the basic gist of it. And the, okay. the uh, bacteria are not, they're there to clean things up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so mm -hmm. basically the bacteria die, they break up, or whatever breaks up. And then back, more bacteria come in and eat everything up to clean everything. They're the uh, mm -hmm. scavengers, the garbage men. Say. Yeah, the cleanup crew, and um, kind of like firemen at a fire. They're there to put the fire out. More normally, <laughs> there are or those waste, you know oddball waste management. I don't yeah. know if you have waste management in your neck of the woods, but uh, they're big down here, and mm -hmm. they come and pick up the trash, take it away. Yeah, they clean things up, but they don't. And the 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 biggest takeaway from all of this is all that's coming together to say for years they've been claiming all this junk, but no one has ever in the history of mankind proven that these things make people sick. That's the bottom line. They're there, but they don't make people sick. And they can't survive sunlight or oxygen. No. <laughs> the the other thing I heard as a theory, or not really just a theory, but the cells make soaps and solvents to clean up their problems with being overloaded with um, environmental sludge. <laughs> and that's what the viruses are. They're the soaps and solvents. Soaps if it's minor, solvents if it's more drastic to clean up the environment within the cells. Ain't it wonderful? <laughs> yeah, it's doing what it's supposed to do, and we go and throw some more more crap in the soup to make it worse. But beginning with uh, Edward Jenner and moving on from there, we've got all these people saying, they make you sick, you must take our antibiotics and our antivirals and our drugs because we make lots of money <laughs> that's what's all hey, about yeah. yeah go ahead yes, Doug, yeah. hey Doug you know I did understand a lot of that for a uh, level uh oh and 
because I'm a, a builder, okay, uh, one of my skills is uh, carpentry. Mm-hmm. And so I work uh, in a lot of the stuff I do in sixteenths of an inch, which is small. Okay, you you have oh, yeah. that each time, mm-hmm. but I basically work on sixteenths of an inch. Well, what impact? Well, first of all, uh, this information was very cogent, and I believe whoever put this together was intelligent enough to put it in a layman's language. Yeah. Okay? Yep. So it really made sense. And so it started, something I do a lot of times because I have uh, helpers here and there, and I'll tell them uh, the aspect of uh, inches. Okay? And I'm relating this to the mathematics of what this uh, these people were sharing, because it, it is always mathematics. In other words, uh, whatever the premise is that they're sharing, there's mathematics involved besides um, the actual experiment. There, it, it's like the the possibility of this. In other words, if it's never happened, then the possibility of it is zero. And so I've shared with people, let's say, for instance, um, you want to build a uh, a one-foot square little box. And it has to be perfectly one-foot square from the bottom to the top and from each side. So uh, one foot is uh, if if uh, our uh, our western measurements are in one eighth inches, so one eighth of an inch, eight of them makes one inch. And then, if you want to make a a foot, then it's eight times eight, so it's sixty four eighths. Eight times twelve. Eight times eight. An eighth of an inch makes, you put eight, eight, eighth and eight eighth eighths of, together to make one inch, then you multiply that by yeah. 12 to make one foot. Oh, by, yeah, by 12, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> or no, 96 eighths. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 96 eighths. Thought you had me there, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> I am listening. <laughs> no, you had, you got me. So anyway... But so you got ninety six eighths in a foot. Mm-hmm. Now here's the thing with all these with what this guy was sharing, and we're talking about uh, what I'm speaking about is structural integrity. Because mm-hmm. if you want, if you're just building a one foot structure, you want the bottom dimensions to be the same as the top. Right. Okay. And each side, you want it to be the same. Mm-hmm. If you're one-eighth inch off in a foot, you're going to be one inch off. Okay? Right? And you're going to be more than that. If you're an eighth, yeah. eighth inch off with each one, 
You're going to be a foot and a half off. Yeah, I was figuring or an inch and a half off. Excuse me. You're going to an inch and a half off. <laughs> an inch and a half. <laughs> yeah, well, you're you're good. So, so now if figure building a build back better. <laughs> yeah. What you're describing a ten foot. Go ahead. What you're describing is the difference between precision and accuracy. Yeah, measure twice, cut once. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, what I'm saying is if you're a little bit off, just one-eighth of an inch, if you're building a 10-foot building or a 20-foot building or a 40-foot yeah, good... building, yep. it affects the structure. But mm -hmm. the creation of the cells and the body and everything has been precisely done so that there is no measure of error in it. But what these people who are just making stuff out of, you know, their minds, none of it is science, none of it makes sense, and it's an, it's an error. The same as if you're one-eighth inch off in building a, a structure, um, it weakens the structure if you're one-eighth inch off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a yeah. way to put it, in sure. when you're talking virology, is you have guys that are PhDs, and they are, you know, the higher you get, you don't get more educated. You get more indoctrinated, and you get more set in the way of the general overall theory. But if the theory starts out wrong, by the time you reach Ph.D. level, you are wrong at such a high level, and nobody is going to ever admit it. And you've got, uh, that's why well, you have little, all these people pushing little, this stuff. A little wrong, or greatly wrong, it's mm -hmm. still wrong. Exactly. And, and, and that it just goes right along with... Uh, whether it's ethics or morals or financial things. Or virology. This is the system. I'm sorry. Or yeah. virology. Yeah. And by the time you that hit PhD great... level, you are extremely wrong and unwilling to change because that's what you have been indoctrinated into for years and years and years and years. That's and the way we've always it. done it. And you pay for it, and you have the backing of the whole system that wants to deceive and lie to everybody about the science. Because they make a lot of money doing so. They're paid to deceive people. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not like, you know, it's not like uh, anybody that's, I've always been pretty good at math except for today. <laughs> But uh, uh, I want to see any, your box. If you're, if you're going to, huh? I want to see you make a box. What'd you say? <laughs> make me a box, well, twelve inches square. That custom stuff. But um, yeah, I just hadn't processed it correctly. But the thing is that uh, this system is designed to. That kind of mesmerize people if it's science like this particular uh, talk here everything that he said there I didn't understand all of it but I understand uh, I understood the basics 
the foundation of what he was saying, and it all just totally made sense to me that, okay, this is what they're doing. This is how science and understanding and what we do to investigate all this stuff, this is how it works. And they're not using, they're not applying these methods to this. And it's just amazing to me that they're killing people and injuring people based upon this false science. You know, the PCR, the idea with that kind of reminds me homeopathic how you'll put the sputum or whatever and dilute it and shake it vigorously over and over until it's dispersed all through in every molecule. Yeah, so it's sort of similar. I wonder if Mullis got the idea from that. <laughs> Hard telling. Well, from what I understand, the, the uh, I don't know if it's called the interfuge, but it would, it's designed to separate dissimilar fluids or, or whatever. So, but if it's mixing it, that's centrifuge, a story. you're talking about? Yeah, centrifuge separates, right. But this PCR thing is uh, actually multiplying like homeopathic. Oh, I see. So it's a mixer. Or an amplifier. Yeah, Yeah, amplifier. Another great scientific uh, snafu is uh, if you look at all of your weather apps, they have the uh, nano... Uh, they have the the particulate matter in the air and then they have a scale of healthy air versus unhealthy air and they use 2.5 microns. Well, a micron is one millionth of a meter. And of course, the stuff they're putting in the chemtrails is nanoparticulate, which is one billionth of a meter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they don't even come close to telling you how much that is in your air and that you're breathing in and it's falling through your pores and killing the trees and the bees and everything else. Yep. Crap in the food, crap in the water, crap in the air. Crap inside you. Yeah. What fun. <laughs> crap, what am I going to do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a crappy situation. <laughs> come out of her. So they tell you you got this wonderful air and you've been seeing them spray you all day long. <laughs> You're like, okay, thank you for the info. <laughs> yep, and it is. Well, the one, th- oops, the one singular thought I have about oh. all this as a a a word of the father guy is that he created all of this and he's watching all of it, and if we just trust in him. I mean, I want to keep learning everything I can, but if we trust in him, then he promises he'll take care of us. Yeah. No and matter what, what they're what, doing. What I meant to say earlier, and I forgot because I didn't have the thing set right, it is all. It's brought to you by Pfizer, CBS Health Watch. Yeah. <laughs> I can play the whole two minutes worth, but <laughs> it's all brought to you by Pfizer, Moderna, uh, Johnson & Johnson. And DuPont and Monsanto and all these great big corporations that are using us as fodder to make money for them. Man, 
think there's a pushback going on in a general sense. Slow but sure. By the people that matter. Mm-hmm. People are no, starting to wake up. You know, mostly people that have had their ox yeah. gored, but there's a few that have done a little research and looked into it and didn't have to have their ox gored to see what was going on. And uh, slowly but surely, more and more people are waking up and finding out what's going on and saying, I don't think I'm going to play that game anymore. And we can only hope that will be a movement that will continue to grow. Setting brush fires in the minds of men, as they say. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Jim, I, I, mm-hmm. I looked up that flag, and it's really quite astounding. Um, it's 70 by 140. It weighs wow. 250 pounds. The pole it on is on is at 400 feet. Ooh. It's, the pole weighs 420,000 pounds. It's 11 feet in diameter at the base, five and a half feet at the top. At the 400 foot level, hmm. it's anchored by 680 cubic feet of concrete. It took 500 gallons of paint to paint it. <laughs> wow, that's a big one. Uh, that is really 400 foot pole, man. No wonder yeah, it fell amazing. over. <laughs> When you drive down I-43 through the Sheboygan, Sheboygan Falls area, you, you see that thing way, way off in the distance. It's, yeah, uh, the wind load on that flag uh, at 70 by 140, man, that would yeah. be a lot. That's not quite Honest a pull. that energy. What's and they that, did that to uh, honor the veterans, according to Mr. Salzberg, whoever is the CEO of Acuity, the insurance company. Wow. <laughs> 250 pounds. I'm surprised it doesn't weigh more. Must some real light. I wonder what it was made out of. Rayon? They say recently it got shredded by a storm because it was getting at the end of its life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess the winds were pretty high up at that 400-foot level. Oh, yeah. Shredded it, so they had to put a new one up. Jeez. Goodness gracious. (laughs) 11 foot at the base. Man. And how far down did they go? They just said 680 feet of, of uh, cubic of feet of concrete in one ad, but they went down 10 feet, but it's something, I think, like 70 feet in, square. Man. Whew. Wow. 680 feet. They had to get below the frost level there, which is four or five feet. So um, 10 feet would be like almost a minimum, I would think. Hmm. That's, oh, I didn't do that right. 680? 680 cubic feet of concrete. That's, that's 25 yards of concrete, just a little over. 25.2 yards of concrete. That's a oh, lot I, of concrete. No, no, I said 680 cubic feet, or cubic yards is what I okay, meant Okay, Okay, you know, that makes more sense. Yeah, cubic feet, there's nine or 27 cubic feet in a cubic yard, and that's what I was figuring. So, yeah, that makes more sense. Cubic yards, I'm sorry. Ooh, goodness gracious. That's a bunch. <laughs> I wonder what it cost. It must have cost a freaking fortune. I mean, just 500 gallons of paint and to put it on something 400 feet tall. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would know. not want to paint that puppy unless I was doing it while it was laying down before they put it up. <laughs> yeah, they probably did that, I would Ooh. think. It would be nice to see if there's a video out there on the... Uh, I'd like to see the, how they just put the coal up. Man. Yeah. Ooh-wee. 
That's a monster. Good and it's grief. I guess it's got uh, three um, cylinders on it to help with wind load to help it you know, flex like a shock a absorber system. Base, I guess. Man. <laughs> Yowza. They didn't mention the first one that blew over. <laughs> uh, that would be too much of an embarrassment. <laughs> oh, man, that's a trip. Hey, Sarge. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, on the podcast, you mentioned you never had a boiled peanut before. I had never. I'd, I'd been to I. The only place I've ever seen them was South Carolina. And we were down there several years ago on vacation. We kept driving by stands that had boiled peanuts, but we never stopped. And uh, when you Mike should have stopped, <laughs> <laughs> I figured that out. We had, uh, you know, uh, Steve had a cup of them at, uh, when we were doing our show, and uh, he was nice enough to share them with us. And I had some. And man, I'll tell you what, it's a totally different, totally different from a from a roasted peanut big difference oh yeah and uh the key key is they gotta have enough salt in them i've had them before where people didn't salt them and you can't hardly eat them yeah you have it has to have plenty of salt i, I moved to texas for eight years back in the 80s mm -hmm. and uh the group of people i hung around with had never had boiled peanuts so i brought back a couple of cases one christmas when i came home and i wow. took them back and uh gave them out to everybody uh and they couldn't believe it it just blew their minds <laughs> yeah they were really good and i forget who i was talking to i think it was uh, thomas one of the guys that was working the counter there and he said that the way you eat them is you you bite them and suck the fluid out first and uh, yeah kind of like a crawfish <laughs> yeah i was like sucking the head of a crawfish <laughs> and, so uh, are they boiled in water or grease water they're they're oh, water, okay. wet water with lots of salt. It's like mm -hmm. brine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I'll tell you what. They were they were tasty. And mm. uh, I think my grandmother put them in a pressure cooker. Hmm. That would make them cook quicker. And it would get the stuff through them more. That'd yeah, that'll do it quicker, but not better. Hmm. Yeah. Probably uh, the time. The ones the ones on the side of the road, they they boil them in fifty five gallon drums, and they boil them for I don't know. 24 48 hours or something long time wow <laughs> yeah they were good i gotta say i was i was really impressed they were very good and I'm uh, water and thinking about it mm -mm -mm. you you can order some by in cans but they're generally not as good as homemade yeah it'd be interesting to try that if you could get just some raw peanuts and try you know experiment and come up with your own uh, recipe and whatnot they got to be green. Yeah. Yeah, these things were, it was really surprising. I looked at them and said, oh, they're green. <laughs> kind of a pea yeah, green. Well, when, they're, when they're green, they're soft and they can absorb the salt water. If they're hard, you wait till they, they get hard. They, they yeah, can't absorb through. it. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll tell you what, they were tasty. And another southern, southern delicacy. But uh, between that and the brisket, oh my goodness. Whew. And the coleslaw. That guy's coleslaw was amazing. It looked very simple. I didn't have no carrots, no nothing. It was just all chopped up cabbage. And man, it was good. I was very, I wish I had asked him about what he flavor seasoned it with, you know, what kind of dressing, I guess, is what you would call Jim, it. Yes, sir. I was traveling around with my quartet, 
many years ago. And uh, so we were going to all the different states. And uh, we were told that this is the best place to go to get coleslaw. So we, we, it was on our schedule and we scheduled it and we went to this place and this coleslaw was, it was a, a steak restaurant too. And uh, so we ordered our food and this coleslaw was so good that yet you didn't even, it was like, well, I don't know, I'll eat the steak maybe after I finish eating this coleslaw. It was that good. <laughs> I don't remember what state it was, but it was unbelievable. Give me a plate of uh, coleslaw with a side of steak. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Man, that's it, pretty good. Well, it was just, it was, it was an experience. It, it was just like we were told this is the best coleslaw you'll ever taste, and it was. It was whatever kind of ingredients uh, they put in that, it was, it was that way. Hey, Sarge. Yes, sir, Alan. I, I was going to say, it's cabbage, mayonnaise, salt, pepper, and a splash of either vinegar or pickle juice. Probably about all they had in it. Probably. that It, it was very simple. And, yeah, uh, that's about the way most southern coleslaw is down here. Uh, that's pretty much it. That stuff was good. It was some of the best coleslaw I've ever had. I was amazed. And uh, it seemed very simple. But, uh, hmm. Man, I'll tell you what, and something, you know, a lot of things and best things in life are simple. You, know, you don't, don't add too much to it. Just do the natural flavors and a little bit of extra and boy, I'll tell you what, that was some good stuff. <laughs> and it went yeah. good with that brisket. Ooh, baby. I really wish I'd have tried one of the corn dogs though. A smoked corn dog would be interesting, but yeah, maybe next year, but hopefully by next year, maybe I'll be on my boat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> In uh, in high school, I was on student exchange, and the high school we were exchanging with was in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Mm -hmm. I was in Wisconsin, and on the trip there in the bus, um, a lot of us would get out for lunches and stuff like that, and uh, most everybody went to the fast food restaurants, and me and my buddies, about four of us, we, uh, we always went to the whatever greasy spoon we could find for local flavor, right? Right. And I walked into this one place. I think we were already almost in Wyoming. And it was a dank little place. And this lady on her wood table top there was like a bar. She had uh, rolled up uh, balls of hamburger for for to make hamburgers. Mm -hmm. They were gray. So it wasn't like there was, you know, the, the phony colorant and stuff in them and everything. And, and we all sort of looked at it. We come from the farm, so we're used to seeing real meat in the real state. And we're like, okay, well, we'll try we'll try your hamburgers. She said that was what they sort of specialized in. That was the best hamburger I ever had in my life. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> you know, funny, Saturday, Saturday morning when I was driving up to the uh, from the hotel up to the um, Dixie Republic, I was looking, I saw, I found that I saw this place. It was called the Old Clock Restaurant, and there were like five fire trucks parked outside. I said, okay, tomorrow morning, that's where I'm going to stop for breakfast. <laughs> and sure enough, I stopped there Sunday morning for breakfast before I left town. And excellent food, great coffee, and 
very low price. I think my whole thing, my meal was like seven bucks or something. And, oh, I'll tell you what. Hey, guess what? Robert, I fixed my dinger. <laughs> uh, and that signals we're out of time. But now, that yeah. sounds very personal, James. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I didn't have to have drugs to do it. <laughs> there you go. But there you uh, go. yeah, if you're ever in uh, Greenville over on, uh, what was it? Uh, White Horse Road. Look for the old clock restaurant, man. I'll tell you what, they got some mm. good food there and a real nice place. And the, everybody working there, great folks, very friendly and good food at a decent price. But anyway, that's it for today. Take care of your bodies because the only place you have to live. And we will see you tomorrow. And uh, hopefully I'll be back in time to do the show. We will see you then. Take care and God bless.